Stock Leipzig, the oldest festival for animation and documentary in the world, is happening in a hybrid format in 2020. We're embracing the opportunities that come along with it. Welcome to the new Doc Industry Program podcast. Realized in collaboration with What's Up with Docs, the programmers of Color Collective and independent film industry curator Temba Bieber. Welcome to a series of discussions on subjects such as story sovereignty, diversity and inclusion in the documentary industry, and decolonizing our industry in general. These podcasts are funded by Creative Europe, the City of Leipzig, the BKM, and MDM. We thank our partners and supporters for their contributions. Enjoy. Mari Mari, um, welcome everybody to uh, our podcast today. Um, we are part of the Doc Leipzig Festival. And this is the podcast of Afro-Indigenous Allyship and Solidarity on Screen. This podcast is commissioned by Doc Leipzig, the oldest festival for documentary and animation with a rich and storied history. My name is Amalia Cordova, and I will be acting as your moderator. And I have with me a wonderful panel, and I'm going to be um, having a conversation with my colleagues uh, who will introduce themselves in a bit, but I welcome you and I want to explain a little bit um, how this came about. As you all know, this festival this year will be held as a hybrid event due to the current pandemic. As part of the festival, there is the Doc Industry Program, Germany's most important gathering place of the year for documentary professionals, and one of the world's most preeminent markets for the creative documentary. This is all going completely digital this year. And as part of this program, uh, Doc Industry has commissioned a series of podcasts, two of which have been curated by our dear friend and colleague, Temba Bebe. Temba, as curator of this podcast, is a film industry programmer with various specialties and talents, but particularly focusing on diversity and inclusion, on the film industries of African and African diasporas, and on indigenous organizations. I've gotten to know Temba Thanks to our collaborative work with festivals such as Imaginative, the uh, EFM Indigenous Cinema Stand, and particularly intersecting with a trip that uh, Temba made to Chile, to the Mapuche territory, to the festival called Ficual Mapu. Other partners that we've been in touch with are the International Sami Film Institute, Maraland Film Festival, the New Zealand Film Commission, Neotero, and CLACPI, the Latin American Coordinator of Indigenous Peoples Film and Communication. There is a broad network spanning across the world now that helps support Indigenous produced cinema. But where are these other intersectionalities? Where are the places of struggle that these cinemas are overlapping and discussing every time we gather? And now that we can gather at different time zones through these different technologies, we have the possibility of having really new and interesting conversations. The work of Temba has really been important for us as um, folks from Latin America, from Central America, from the Caribbean that have uh, perhaps less access to travel sometimes, less access to technology and various levels of language barriers. So we're very thankful to have uh, this opportunity that the festival has an interest in our work and that I'm able to have in this discussion, uh, wonderful colleagues. I am here with David Hernandez Palmar. I am here with Fanny Hook. I am here with uh, Loreto 
I am here with Loreto Bustos Hernando and myself, Amalia Cordova, again, and we are going to be discussing uh, various aspects of these intersections. Temba wanted us to create a space of dialogue around this topic, um, and this is also thanks to the work of many precursors. We want to thank Janet Payan, who is the director, the founding director of Ficual Mapu and her whole team that have an annual festival in the Mapuche territory known as Walmapu in Southern Chile and Argentina. The Mapuche people are facing um, many difficulties. Uh, there are structural problems, territorial defense and human rights violations. It's an ongoing problem and we may touch upon that. We want to thank the work of communicators everywhere and documentary filmmakers who uh, put their life at risk to bring us their important messages. We want to thank Bridget O'Shea, the head of industry at Doc Leipzig, and Annalise Rethfeld, also from Doc Leipzig, who's helping us produce this podcast. I want to reiterate, Mari Mari, hello, good morning. I'm here broadcasting from uh, Piscataway territory in what is also known as Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C., I need to recognize, is also a place that was uh, built on the backs of enslaved populations. So there is a really important intersection here in this territory of indigenous and black lives. It's also the seat of a wave of incredible creative protest at this time in the United States and clearly across the continent and across the world. So this conversation uh, wants to explore the many ways in which these alliances and solidarities are possibilities. How do we work across languages? How do we acknowledge a shared history. Writer, uh, Laguna writer Leslie Marmon Silco says that the contact of the Europeans to the American continent created a braid that enmeshed forever the lives and histories and futures of indigenous peoples and of Afro-descendant peoples who came to this world in this continent. In recent years, we've seen uh, greater attention to black cinema to minoritized language cinema, to cinemas made by LGBTQ communities. And there has been increasingly space at specific ethnic festivals or genre festivals that want to bring in spotlights and showcases of films from other regions or from other languages or from other experiences. Some of these generate um, just screenings and interactions with the filmmakers that we can bring some of them are uh, interactions that are through training workshops that festivals or other uh, nonprofit organizations are sponsoring. And some of these interactions between Afro-descendant filmmakers and indigenous filmmakers happen through residencies and guest fellowships and exhibitions. Because indigenous cinema is, um, is emerging and is decolonizing and indigenizing the film industry, we're not gonna follow a straight path. We're gonna work on various fronts uh, by any means that we can. And uh, some of the folks we have with us today have been instrumental in articulating this conversation and, and giving it more life and more platforms. So I want to ask my fabulous panel to uh, introduce themselves. Um, David, Fanny, and Loreto, bienvenidos. It's really a pleasure to have you. Um, David, can you uh, introduce yourself, please? Hello, everyone. My name is David Hernandez Palmar. I'm from the Wayu people from Venezuela and Colombia. We're in South America. 
Um, I am filmmaker, producer, and uh, programmer for various film festivals and showcases. Uh, <laughs> and um, I've had the opportunity and the honor to curate also content from other nations and First Nations uh, from other parts of the world, you know, out of Latin America. And um, I really appreciate this invitation. You know, I think it's a very, very timely um, dialogue that isn't being ongoing. And now it is the time for us just to, you know, show that we're already doing this work and that we are so happy to share it along and pass it along the message to the rest of the people that can just join us and, you know, like enjoy the depiction of indigenous peoples and, and black communities and black people worldwide, you know, how we can determine who we are through cinematography. Thank you. Loretta? Mari Mari Kompulamien. Hi, everyone. Um, I mean, Walmapu. Walmapu uh, was mean in a Mapuche language, uh, land, ancestral territory of Mapuche people uh, that uh, was ago uh, a territory from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean. Actually, Walmapu uh, are divided for political <laughs> question in Chile and Argentina. And we have a indigenous film festival named Figual Mapu in this territory. And I represent a group, a team of Figual Mapu. And we have um, very happy to this invitation for speak about the situation in our territory and the situation uh, with our people, principal, the Mapuche people. Thanks. Fanny. So, uh, hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Fanny Hook. Uh, thank you, uh, Temba, for this opportunity. And thank you, Amalia, for moderating this table. I am very excited to uh, be joining this panel um, it's amazing group of people uh, with uh, Loreto and David, and also thank you to the Leipzig Doc Festival for um, putting this podcast together. I am the programming manager of the International Film Festival of Panama. I am also programmer at Panalandia, the short film festival made by Mente Pública is a film festival for films under a budget, short films, um, a very, very low budget. I am also uh, part of a group called La Subterránea, which aim aims to distribute independent films in um, alternative, alternative spaces in Panama. And, but due to the pandemic, we have an uh, online uh, web where we are, have been sharing films um, that we think need to be seen and discussed that are never going to make the uh, more uh, cinemas. And I am very excited to share um, my thoughts on the collaborations and uh, uh, on the Afro-Caribbean, uh, Afro-communities and the indigenous communities because Panama is such a melted uh, melting pot 
of um, races, and I think it's very appropriate to do it in, in this moment. Thank you, Fanny. Um, so I also will introduce myself a little more in depth. Uh, my name is Amalia Cordova. I was born in Santiago, Chile, uh, the, the territory, the Mapuche territory, also known as Walmapu. But as a child, um, as a result of the political circumstances, my family moved to the United States and I grew up in uh, Seneca territory, Six Nations territory in Buffalo, New York. So hence my sort of bilingual and, and, and borderland experience. And I uh, have been working in indigenous film through programs such as the Native American Film and Video Festival in New York City of the Smithsonian National Museum of the American Indian as a collaborator of CLACPI, as an advisor uh, to other film festivals, and most recently as the co-director of the Mother Tongue Film Festival, which shows work uh, from about and in indigenous, minoritized and endangered languages. So uh, on, that, on that point, um, we're talking right now a little bit about intersectionality from the positionality of Latin America or the Americas. And I think that um, indigenous film festivals that have been around since about 1985 have been uh, creating spaces for the exhibition of African and Afro-descended film way before this was a thing like it is today. So we had uh, in the Clackby festivals, uh, there, were, there was the idea of being rotational and moving from different country to country to hit Brazil, Colombia, Guatemala and democratize a process. So there's an ethos that's a little bit different. And as this festival started walking across the continent, it also had to acknowledge that there were diverse communities in the different countries that it was hitting. And there are places in Latin America that are more known to be uh, effort to have strong effort descendant populations. Um, and some of them are the Pacific, some of them are in the Caribbean, but there are also regions that uh, don't really acknowledge that history. So I think that one of the first things we have to talk about is, is how that history, how that historical foundational narrative gets constructed and then how indigenous cinemas and, and other cinemas deconstruct that. Um, we have foundational, you know, acknowledgement of the, uh, the industry of slavery and the suppression of all things uh, African and Afro-descendant as, as the norm in across the continent. And uh, as Audre Lorde says, uh, these communities were never meant to survive. So we need to look more critically at our history. And I think one thing about Latin America is that the way indigeneity is parsed is very different uh, than how it is perhaps in North America. And there is uh, a lot more kind of acceptance of how mixed we might be. Um, we all have uh, this idea of these countries being very European, but they're not. <laughs> so there is this common history present and we can see it in the names of places and the languages spoken and the way our Spanish is spoken across the Caribbean or across the Pacific coast. Um, we have shared struggles. We have histories of struggles for freedom, such as the Quilombolas, uh, the, the communities of 
maroons or runaway slaves that create their own societies ac across uh, forest regions like in Brazil and in other parts of Latin America. And then we have uh, more, more accidental stories such as uh, stories of shipwrecks and, and places that, that were able to create their own community and have their own autonomy, but they're on indigenous land, right? So there has to be some kind of agreement on how to use that land. And ultimately there is uh, a mixture, right? And there are, there are very unique pockets of Afro-Indigenous and Afro-Latin uh, communities, such as on the Pacific coast of Oaxaca, Ecuador, Colombia. And we see this more clearly articulated kind of in the music world, but it hasn't had such a strong counterpart in the, in the film world. And that's mainly, I think, due to how remote they are, uh, disenfranchised and maybe access to materials and lack of priority uh, in terms of how they don't scan. Um, indigenous and Afro-descendant filmmaking doesn't really scan for the film offices, for the arts councils, because Latin American countries are, are cross-cut by racial and class divides and try to think of themselves as emulating and following European cultural norms and standards. So one thing that has to happen is we have to have this introspection and across so many parts of Latin America, we survived and lived under dictatorships. So I think one thing that happens uh, during those uh, dictatorships and authoritarian governments, tyrannical governments is, is twofold. First, we, we grow up subject to violence. We understand that violence is a part of life and we create mechanisms to communicate despite the separation and the suppression and oppression of the state. And there's this kind of healthy mistrust of any kind of national media, so we make our own. So across Latin America, there was this creation of independent community media, and that often tipped into the vernacular and tapped into sort of alternate forms of looking at life. But it was still very much a political project. I think indigenous film uh, was born under that idea of that kind of solidarity, a political solidarity. But it took a long time for the indigenous filmmakers to kind of shake off the imposition of ethnographic filmmakers or filmmakers that came in and had a pre-existing notion of what they wanted to see indigenous peoples represent. So there was still a narrative around what indigeneity should look like and what the message or the value of indigeneity was. It was folded into the idea of a class struggle. It was folded into the idea of a political project. And what we have seen over the last three decades is how indigenous film has proven to have a position, a cultural stance that's beyond political, that's also social, that's about worldview, that's about notions of how we conceive the earth. And that's where we find more similarity with those communities, the Afro-descendant communities that also came and brought their way of looking at the world, their languages, their more holistic understanding, their religiosities, right? Our relation to the visible and the invisible, the human and the non-human. So I think that's where we found commonalities and I think that's where there's a really productive dialogue happening. And increasingly because of um, the shifts in the governments and current situations, we've seen a lot of migration from the Caribbean, from Venezuela, Colombia, Peru, um, places that have uh, a larger, more robust Afro-descendant uh, community migrate to places such as Argentina and Chile that thought of themselves as not having Black populations at all. So that has created 
and, and, and reinforced a lot of stereotypes and, and brought out the worst in the sort of overall society. And they've reacted with very overt racism towards our, our colleagues who migrate, our folks who need to come and work in other countries. And that has also created um, a new solidarity um, among the different communities that receive these migrants, right? So that has produced an influx of a lot more music, a lot more influx. You can find, you can find green plantain and yuca now in Chile, you know, because the communities are there and they're cooking their food and they're speaking in Creole and they're just, in, they're just influencing what daily life is looking like across the Southern cone. And you have more folks traveling also to Brazil and having more cultural competencies, I, I think, with what it means to um, live on a continent you know, that, that has this shared history. So just to um, get more into the meat of the matter, um, I think how this, how this vision of communities that are so disenfranchised and disconnected and, and not really considered in the rebuilding of nationhood once the dictatorships leave the, the territories in Latin America, that has been the struggle. In a way, indigenous and Afro-descendant have been subculturized, have been looked at as minorities have been looked at as, as marginal. So I think first of all, the first step that I think we've been trying to, to get to is to legitimize this, uh, the production of indigenous and, and Afro-descendant filmmakers as not marginal, as actually super dignified, as worthy, as valuable. And we need to show the work and we need to discuss the work. So early on, I would say in the early 2000s, um, I had a um, conversation in 2006 with uh, a colleague who had just been to some festivals in Europe and had met a uh, filmmaker, African filmmaker, Mansur Sore Wade, and really appreciated the work that he had. So we were thinking about how, how do we make a decolonized cinema? How do we give examples to indigenous filmmakers in Latin America of what decolonial cinema looks like if we're only watching through cable television and through film festivals, Hollywood films and mainstream films and art house films from the major festivals? How do we get to think about a different narrative language? How do we hear films in different languages with other, other treatments of sound, other modes of storytelling? So we worked to bring uh, Mansur Sorewade to the 2006 Clackby Festival in Oaxaca. And he is Wolof and we had him join our festival and he basically gave a master class when he presented his films. And people were really blown away and this was such a wonderful opportunity that we had to bring him that we um, also decided that we should bring films by Mohamed Saleh Haroun to the next festival in Bolivia in 2008. And also we have other festivals like Premio Anaconda that are traveling across the Caribbean and across the Amazon. So in um, one of the Premio Anacondas around 2010, invited a juror who's Afro-Colombian, Gustavo Balanta, uh, to also be a juror for the 2012 Clacpi Festival in Colombia. So what we're seeing here is the integration, not just of African film and African directors into the Clackby process of finding and exploring new narratives, but also including juries, jury positions to Afro-descendant Latin Americans and 
finally, also some of the categories of CLACPI that are very flexible. I know they're not strict. Um, we CLACPI created a category for best Afro-descendant film and started giving priority and, and very much more in uh, an intentional space to that intersection at the festivals with, I think, wonderful results. So those are some of the, the concrete examples of, of how we can put the filmographies and the shared histories into dialogue through the language of film and how we can start listening to each other. But you can imagine how, uh, how crazy it was to try to get a Senegalese director to a film festival in a small town in Southern Mexico, right? So all these things have to be brokered and they depend on a lot of goodwill and translation and an understanding of what it is that we expect to achieve by, by bringing this in. So, um, David, I want to start with you. And if you can tell us, I know you've been involved in advising many pan-Latin American indigenous film festivals, and you're the political advisor for CLACPI. Um, and also being from Venezuela, but working right now in Colombia, I'm sure that you are kind of being very active in bringing in and, and, and exchanging these, these voices. Tell us a little bit about your experience with that. Thank you, Amalia. And, and yeah, um, I think through indigenous cinema, especially when you are doing the curatorial work, it gives you the opportunity to also um, make like a deconstruction, a deconstructing dynamic in terms of ethnicity and race, right? Because in Latin America, the mestizaje or the mestizo notion of how can you identify yourself? It's something really tricky. Like, you know, it is a way for you to get really far away from who you are in terms of, you know, uh, being able to recognize the gift of storytelling because you come from uh, maybe your grandmother, your, your grandfather is a generous person. Uh, but at the same time, it's another way for you to, you know, reivindicate uh, who are your grandparents. That said, I think that has given us also to really show like uh, indigeneity. It's a category that can be indicated as a, you know, as a position regarding the, the, the survival of the life of indigenous peoples. And also why we receive uh, films from Chechenia, for instance, you know, by recognizing themselves as First Nations, because they have land, they have a language, and they, ha they have a culture, they have a sp spirituality, and also they have a religion. And we were wondering, you know, the very first films we have been receiving from other parts of the world, you know, why they are sending their videos to Latin America knowing that it is an indigenous film festival or indigenous showcase. And then we were realizing that actually, you know, most of the people of the world, you know, they are having issues uh, with the government. The government, they don't let them to practice the self-determination of who they are. And the only way for them to say or to stand up or speak up on who they are is through cinematography itself. So by having that clarity, um, we've been able also to unlearn, you know, uh, that is not only, or it's not enough just to be an indigenous person who makes film, you know, we have to also 
realized that we need to really practice diversity by having the notion or the knowledge in regards of intersectionality. It's not enough to have an indigenous man just doing a film about indigenous women. It has to be indigenous women doing a film about in, another indigenous women and so on. Like, you know, a trans woman, indigenous trans woman doing a film about uh, the life of another indigenous trans woman. So I think uh, in terms of uh, commonalities with black, black people, black communities, you know, the, the Afro-descendants community, um, through cinematography, we've also uh, re, like restated that we come from uh, from Mama Africa, you know. And by uh, restating that, also it gave us a uh, um, a chance for us to rethink about languages, about biodiversity. And also why the word indigenous or indigena, it's also uh, a political approach of not only to the identification, but you know, governments, they, they do know that it's a powerful category. Um, just a very declaration of the United Nations on the, of the, of the rights of indigenous peoples, it was a big deal. It was a very, a very um, hard struggle that we were having back then, because uh, most of the people in Africa themselves, they're indigenous per se, you know, because of the background, because of the history of slavery and so on. But when it came to when 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 it came to time for them to decide at the United Nations, you know, why we have to support this declaration. The, the Kansas block, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and United States, they knew that African, they claim to, um, you know, the, the block of the African countries, they, they have uh, some of legal advances in terms of uh, the indigenous status. And they said, you know, uh, we are not interested of, of having the African block to, um, bring their contributions because they have a clarity on the power of the word or the umbrella of indigeneity. So that's one of the, of the things I wanted to mention because um, we have to come to a realization that indigena or a indigenous person is also the ability for you to recognize that you have a land or you come from a land, you have uh, ancestry and you have you know, a language, whether you practice or not, you know, that's another issue. And uh, it also is given us a chance not also to recognize as indigenous peoples, you know, um, in Clacti with the Premier Naconda or like in Figualmapu by having, uh, uh, you know, a special section for uh, Afro-descendant content. But it is also the recognition of ourselves as peoples that have the gift of being the storytellers, and we, we can do that through cinematography. We've been historically like casted away from the opportunity of uh, telling who we are in terms of equity, egalitarian uh, um, 
processes or you know spaces where we can have a say in how we can uh, do cinema. And when we had a Premio Anaconda or when we did the, 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 the celebration of Premio Anaconda in Cartagena de Indias in Colombia, where there is a Palenque, really close to, to the city of Cartagena, which, which, that actually has a apartheid dynamic against black people. And yet, you know, the largest population of, of Cartagena are black people. Um, that was uh, something that also made us think not very consciously about what was going to be as it is today. And, you know, there are a lot of layers for you to, to handle nowadays. You know, if you, if you take a look back what we've been doing and what, what are the result of it nowadays, there is a more uh, elaborated, uh, there is a stronger texture of the weaving of being in togetherness, but also what we can do, not only of recognizing the storytelling, but also what we can do in terms of thought production, you know, uh, why we have to have uh, a co-host uh, forums, why we do have to be solid, solid why we do have, why do we have to show solidarity with what go, what's going on with what Black Lives Matter, you know, is not a U.S. thing. It is like a systemic thing that's going on worldwide, and uh, some of them are more visible than the others because of the you know privilege of media, or, you know whether you know we recognize it or not. But I think um, it it it's sometimes you know people in Latin America, especially non-indigenous or non-black people they would say that we're complaining, you know, <laughs> we're always complaining. Uh, and I think that it is our right, but also this, it is our time to tell the truth and very honest about it. So we're not to uh, deny any word of honesty by, in this big conversation. And, uh, and sometimes I don't like, you know, when, when, when people, they just spend their time, but, complaining why uh, Oscars, you know, and the Academy is doing the news changes in regards of the ruling or nomination for a film. But it is a recognition also of the, of the struggle of Native Americans and Afri African American uh, people trying to make a change in, this, in the cinema industry. So I think, uh, from the international international film showcase in Venezuela, you know, as a as a as a local um, experience, that's the way and the most effective way for you to relate to other peoples because we have the right to decide and how we can how we can relate to each other, and I think the best one is one of the best spaces is cinematography. Uh, we can also dismantle, you know, all the scars of the colonization and heal through that too. And uh, I would, uh, I would lastly uh, say that uh, we're also happy. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a executive producer of Semillas de Lucha, Seeds of Struggle, which is uh, the opera prima of a Mapuche, a filmmaker called uh, Kuro Nahuel, and it was 
filmed in, in the big region of Chaco in Ecuador, in Esmeraldas. And it is a story, a feature film story of um, peasant people uh, struggling against the landlords uh, or, you know, they were, you know, exploiting them when they were um, harvesting banana. And, and my experience of that is that uh, the, the, the black community of Esmeraldas, they said, you know, how dare you to come over here and just to tell a story because um, we're struggling because we, we don't have running water, we don't have food. And then that's the same issue we, we, all, we, we sometimes have back in the communities, right? But, you know, they were part of the creation of a script. They were part of the cre of deciding who, who were going to be the cast. And at the very end of the film, they said, you know, we thought that filmmaking, it was just for white, rich people. But now we are aware that it is a human expression. Therefore, it is a human right. And we're happy that, you know, some Indians came over here and just to share, you know, what is the right of cinema or indigenous communication. And we're part of that history too. So yeah, that's more or less I can, um, uh, I can share in terms of uh, what I feel about, you know, constructing or deconstructing the industry of cinematography that, uh, it's been, it wasn't, it was never built on, you know, thinking ourselves, you know, thinking uh, of indigenous peoples or, or black people. So I think this is the time to take over the place with contributions. Also, I want to point out that um the struggle for representation in Latin America of, of indigenous communities has had different degrees of success across the continent in terms of the legal rights that have been secured in, at the constitutional level. And I wanna point out that uh, in Colombia, when the indigenous movement secured constitutional rights around recognition of land, they made sure that those rights were also extensive to the Afro-descendant Afro-Colombian communities. So in that sense, there was a real, a real legal uh, push for recognition of those communities. And in Colombia, you have a, a, a population of Afro-Colombian that far outweighs the indigenous community. So even though the smaller group got these rights first, they made sure that this wouldn't mean a threat or a displacement, a redisplacement of the uh, Afro-Colombian community. So there were very concrete examples already of indigenous solidarities towards uh, Afro-descendant communities there uh, on that front. Now we're trying to make sure that, that our representation at the audiovisual level uh, continues that dialogue. Uh, Loreto, uh, Ficual Mapu is an annual festival in Southern Chile in the Gulumapu, part of the Walmapu territory. And it's a, it's a relatively new festival compared to Glakpi and older national festivals. And it's really been characterized by having a very contemporary feel with many different cultural expressions like music and working with youth and children. So um, uh, I would like you to tell us a little bit about, first of all, how you see 
the Mapuche community relating to the, their own history with, with black communities in Chile, which is a very kind of varied topic. And second, you know, how they are engaging and how I see that Ficual Mapu is engaging with the huge number of Afro-descendant migrants from Latin America that we have now in Chile. See? Yes. Um, well, Ficual Mapu born uh, in 2015 uh, under umbrella of Clagpi Festival. Uh, we do the 12th Clagpi Festival in Gualmapu. And this is our first Figualmapu. Uh, Figualmapu born like a, fe a film festival, but we think cine uh, is not the only <laughs> expression of art of our Mapuche people and our indigenous people. And uh, think include others expression like music, like art. In the first version, we have a, a exhibition of cine and include a contemporary art of Mapuche people mm -hmm. uh, in a collective uh, exhibition with uh, artists from different um, expression like uh, textile and ceramic and paint and performance and all that is Figual Mapu. And we think Figual Mapu um, was stay in the territory because our territory uh, have a history of violence to the Mapuche people. Um, for centuries, Mapuche people are being displaced for their uh, communities. And we think the cine, the communication are a weapon for fight, for make visible uh, all this situation. Uh, actually now, um, the situation with Mapuche people uh, are very difficult because um, we have um, political prisoners that been imprisoned for without reason, without proofs. They are accused uh, for incendiary attacks, but isn't the proofs for that. And it's a very difficult situation because um, Mapuche people, um, it's judged with a terrorist um, law that uh, is not a <laughs> law uh, that used with other persons, with white persons. These uh, political prisoners are, uh, was in a, a strike, a hungry strike for many, many years, like uh, 123 years, but he deposed that strike hunger because the government doesn't want to uh, sit for a dialogue. They, our governments not have dialogue with Mapuche people, with indigenous people. And it's a very sad situation uh, because uh, it's a silence war in our territory.
And we think, well, arts, films, have histories, have uh, their diversity of realities. And with this, uh, we think maybe exhibition of cine can be a impulse for uh, speak about this quest these situations. We do the next Figual Mapu and the next, and uh, we have uh, five versions of the festival now. And, and in January, we celebrate the sixth Figual Mapu. And in um, 2018, we think uh, Figual Mapu uh, was uh, not only an indigenous festival. We need include others. Um, diversity cultures uh, that are coming on our territory uh, for uh, the migration situation um, and especially because in Temuco that the city uh, of Fihualmapu was celebrated come many Haitian communities Haitian uh, communities, yes, from Haiti? Yes, Haiti Haitian, Yeah come to the Mukwaitian communities and they have a, um, they have uh, their own language, their own culture and our territory are may, um, much more diversity. And we include in our festival a um, new category are the um, identity and culture Afro and Afro-descendant people for visibility, make visible uh, uh, this vision too in our territory. Well, uh, about cine and arts, we think are windows for know the others' cultures, know the others' cosmovision, other uh, ways of life, especially because um, indigenous people are the fighters for the our hair, <laughs> and that not is recognized, but uh, all the people, but that is not recognized for the government. He think uh, we are think with Fidel Mapu uh, can be a, a space for dialogue, but a horizontal dialogue between cultures, different cultures are in our territory. Thank you for that. I think uh, it made me remember that for, first of all, for a lot of Chileans, um, the narrative is that the Mapuche, anytime you say the word Mapuche, it always is accompanied by the, uh, the notion of conflict or problem, right? So it's very much stigmatized and politicized. And really what it's not really scanning as is a cultural substrate of our country, right? So I think one thing that Fikol Mapu has, has, uh, has started with the, the, the nugget of it first is to show the diversity of the Mapuche culture and the Mapuche nations, because we're talking about groups that are on the coast, in the mountain, in the city, Pehuenche, Huilliche, you know, there's many different ways of life of, of the Mapuche across the, the like, large expanse of Walmapu. And also um, to show that there are diverse cultural expressions within Mapuche culture and not just the ones that got folklorized, right? So I think in that exploration, 
uh, Fikol Mapur has, has gone and brought in cooking, brought in music, brought in exhibitions, like you mentioned. And also uh, it strives to be intergenerational and family friendly, right? As are many indigenous film festivals. But uh, it takes place in the south of Chile, not in a capital. And I also know that you're traveling the festival, right? So I, I see that the work of diversity on, on many scales is something that, that Ficol Mapu is, is invested in. And it is probably the only annual festival in Chile that's run by an indigenous person and an indigenous woman, a Mapuche woman, Janet Payan. So that's something yes. to be incredibly proud of. Yes, and the um, intergenerational uh, uh, that you mean, it's very important because Mapuche people, uh, the pichiqueches, the childhood, it's very important. And in the last uh, festival, we think the, um, the kids are uh, boys, have a voice. And we think uh, they are jury of their own category, pichiqueche category. <laughs> and a group of um, kids select uh, from recognized, uh, the recognized film, that pichiqueche category. That was a voice for the pichiqueche people. <laughs> Which I think is really important, uh, Loreto and Amalia, because, uh, you know, sometimes more software productions are, you know, more um, oriented to adult audience. And I think it is a, a it is the right thing to do something um, reflecting you know the the childhood you know as a, as a group that has rights in, in within the un, universal you know audiovisual universe. So I think by having that you know special section for for children, and I I didn't remember that actually the jury of their young section which is amazing so i really appreciate that and it's very important that Figual Mapu uh, is not uh, in uh, one place it's moving for the territory uh, visit uh, schools visit uh, communities mapuche communities and the, um, the exhibition for for kids are with films doing for kids and doing made Do by and for the children or the kids? It's uh, in Walmapu have a, a school of cinema under the umbrella of Wapikoni uh, in Budi Lake. And in this school, um, children have um, Mapuche movies in Mapuche language. It's that a beautiful work that every year we exhibit in our festival. So we find that the, the Haitian migrants are picking up the Spanish and able to take part in the festival, or do you have to subtitle the works into uh, Creole? We don't have any money for subtitles all the movies, um, but we have uh, um, we have an experience, one experience last year um, with a movie uh, named Perro Bomba. Uh, that is a movie about um, Italian migration. Uh, and we, so did, uh, we have, we do the subtitles to Creole for the Italian community. 
and exhibit that uh, movie in a um, public space with a, a, a screen G and uh, have a um, have a space for dialogue with the people and with the community item and was incredible but but uh, for there's for seeing uh, this screen all and uh, this a big screen and feel represent with the actors in the film and um, view uh, their realities in the movie but it's difficult to have subtitles for all the movies it's very expensive uh, we try to um, put subtitles in uh, Mapuche language too, Mapuzungun. Uh, and but it's a difficult, but we hope maybe sometime uh, we can all our films come with the subtitle. So that, that brings us to um, an important point about the possibilities of collaboration and co-production and exchange. Unfortunately, the, the markets of uh, Latin American countries, the, the film industry is really interested in looking north and not so much looking around or looking across uh, the Atlantic and the Pacific. So there's really not any infrastructure or any funding to enable this more south to south exchange, which I, I think we're all super invested in. And um, it ends up being something that we are doing on our own through our networks. And that's why traveling to these festivals as our friend uh, Temba did is so important because that's where you get to really immerse yourself in the culture, hear the language, see the people be welcomed and hosted in a traditional way according to each territory. So I would, I would want to make sure that we leave the invitation for all the documentary filmmakers and producers that are hearing us to consider subtitling in their budgets to, um, transcribe everything and have it ready because maybe we can also help in the actual subtitling, but we need the actual original materials at least translated. And uh, it's something that I find myself brokering often is um, securing the versioning of certain works. Um, last year, for example, I co-curated with uh, Greta Morton Elange from Australia and the uh, Aboriginal Film Festival in Paris that she runs. We co-curated a wonderful showcase of 16 films in indigenous languages from across the world for the Musée Qui Branly. And we secured the French subtitling of uh, a feature film, indigenous directed feature film from Mexico in times of rain. And nobody knows that that exists now in French. And I'm thinking, wow, it could travel to all the Francophone countries outside of Europe, right? But how do I even get the word out that we got this done, that we, we in order to show it in Paris, we had to get it into French, right? So those aren't naturally occurring. Those are, those are really um, branches that you have to build, bridges that you have to build. And that's where networks become very important and the face-to-face -face and the building of trust and the working together. I, I am convinced that... Um, the way indigenous film has been able to get to the place it's at is through working together, not talking about things, but actually collaborating on specific projects as, as simple as a showcase, getting one film to another place. I think we have Fanny and I can't wait to hear uh, what you have to say. Um, maybe I'll backtrack a little bit and ask you to talk a little bit about alliances and solidarities 
in this uh, current global climate and how you see this allyship being built and why now and why film? Well, I agree with the need of allies, allies, liaisons and solidarities. I think because they work in Panama, we have a history of solidarities amongst the indigenous communities and the Afro communities, long dated from the 1500s when the Maroons communities lived amongst the indigenous people and resisted the Spanish conquest and even pirates. I think because it works, we have um, rediscovered this need to work together towards the discussion of the issues that we need to solve, even when they're painful. And uh, I believe our field on cinema and audiovisual work helps to have these painful discussions in more than one level, not just the civilians, but also institutions where changes need to be made. And I think it's because of what the social climate um, indicates all around the world, the need to stay together and the need to work together towards changes that uh, benefit our communities. Um, that, that's, why, that's why it's happening more now than, than before. And from the point of view of the festival and all the other um, activities in the agricultural sector that I participate on, we can see that the discussions that are being held are making changes, are, are, are elevating the discussion where laws can be made. Uh, we've seen it with the destruction of the Darien jungle. We've seen it with the documentaries of Clelia Masua, for example, is an indigenous woman that lives in uh, the Darien province and has been photographed and followed by the work of an indigenous filmmaker called Duiden Wawa. He has uh, found her and discussion of her role in the decision-making process being a woman also uh, has made a, a change on the civil population and the audience that watches the film in the places that we've um, showcase it because the younger audiences feel that they can't to make a difference. So the empowerment that this, um, not just for one community, but all coming from Panama, a highly segregated country where uh, the levels of race are considered better uh, or, or worse and the work has been done not only with indigenous uh, filmmakers and Afro-descendant um, filmmakers on their own, but also together. And I think that's something that needs to be done a lot, lot more. Hopefully we can provide a platform that can uh, help these discussions to evolve and to become to something more. Um, so 
as a programmer of uh, film festivals in, in Panama and, and across uh, the Caribbean and Latin America, um, is there a way that you see a network in progress of Afro-diaspora film festivals across Latin America, for instance? Yes. There are coalitions of different groups, like Contrapeso, for example, is a small audiovisual uh, showcase held in the north of the country in the Colón province, where the Afro-descendant community is bigger. And also the Humara Festival, which is held by Ivan Haribio, uh, hey. Nove indigen indigenous uh, member. And the efforts being made in between these two groups and the Fe International Film Festival of Panama, uh, allowing them to meet with uh, industry experts that can uh, fill the gaps of uh, training that we need because we don't have a, a formal cinema school, I think are, are very beneficial to improve their stories that they are trying to uh, send across. A good example of this is uh, a network meeting that was made during the 2019 Film Festival where Ivan met um, director Grace is, uh, well, the point is that the connections being made during the festival where Ivan could meet directors and producers of uh, the film market, which is an ethnographic film about Amazonian indigenous tribes filmed in, 2020, in 1920 being showcased in the Nove tribe and having a discussion of the similarities of tribes because Ivan met Grace during the festival is a good example of how we can elevate the um, experience of a festival circuit, not just being there and make connections to uh, for your next film, but also to benefit the whole community and how you can be connected uh, and to inspire other future filmmakers that might want to follow the same route. Uh, I think these connections are happening because the festival is also so young and because there are not so many films that have reached international um, extents, maybe we don't see it enough, but there's also the example of Panquiaco, uh, which is the film winner of Por Primera Mirada uh, grant that earns the possibility of being showcased at the Marchedu Film and Cannes. Ana Elena Tejera, the director, presented a Kuna indigenous man that lives in, Kuna is a, is a tribe also in Panama, a different one. That, uh, she, she's photographing this um, man that lives in Portugal for most of his life and misses the homeland, his tribe, his family, and the relationship that had this film 
with uh, the rest of the tribe and the uh, extent that she had and that she will have in her career because of this opportunity is also an example of what this networking can do to a career of a filmmaker and to the whole community because it is also a win for all of us in Panama and in the audiovisual sector. I'm glad you brought up the point of the lack of access to film school. And I'm going to just play devil's advocate here and say, maybe that's even sometimes a good thing because <laughs> what do you learn in film school in Latin America and who mm -hmm. are your classmates and what stories do they want to tell? Mm -hmm. Actually mm -hmm. radically mm -hmm. different from what I feel uh, the youth that I've been able to um, meet through some of the trainings that even I go to, I, I sometimes I'm invited by Ambulante Masaya to mm -hmm. join their documentary training workshops for Campesino, Afro-Mexican and indigenous youth in Mexico. And uh, I was a little bit surprised to see that within the, the very rigorous documentary training that they're given, including editing and thinking a lot about critically about sound, they hadn't been shown the masterworks of indigenous film of Mexico and they hadn't met other indigenous filmmakers. They were basically studying the documentary canon. And I, I questioned that a little bit and I brought in um, one of the indigenous filmmakers of Mexico, Crisanto Manzano, to go meet with these youth. And um, I think it's important to also generate teaching materials. It's something that, you know, I, oh, I wish I had more time to do. But I think it's important for us as curators and film programmers to also be doing some critical work and, and creating uh, interesting ways to create these intersections and, and find these common spaces. Um, I think one way that we've done it at the Mother Tongue Film Festival is to mix it up. And I, I find amazing indigenous hip hop across Latin America in indigenous languages. So I've been uh, programming those shorts from Yucatec Maya, from the Embera, Linaje Originario, displaced Emberas who are living in Colombia. And we don't Absolutely. even subtitle those works. We just show them in their original mother tongue. But there's a very, like, the, the storytelling spirit of hip hop has really been taken up by indigenous communities. So there's these kind of overlaps and they produce audiovisual clips, right, that are made to promote the records that don't have blurbs or titles. But I've discovered that there's a trove of work there and I like programming them into the festival because I get to bring in the Embera experience. I've shown the work of Luanco, a Mapuche hip hop artist who is a history teacher and realized that his youth, the youth he was teaching are very disconnected from the Mapuche culture in the city and from their language. He started rapping in Mapuzungun. And I also showed the work of Jasne Wen very early on in 2003. She made a, a hip hop video clip called Newen, uh, which is a life force or spirit. And she made a really powerful video that combined urban and rural experience with Mapuche. So um, that's also, I think, a way that we look at how we can extend the boundaries of these genres and push it open, right? Debbie? I agree, I agree. I think that, uh... It's not necessarily that films need to go, going back to your point of a need, the need of a film school. I think it does, um, I think the uh, new filmmakers feel that they need that for their confidence of knowing what they're doing. But 
uh, also it's refreshing and we agree that it's refreshing to see just whatever it is that they need to say however they want to say it and it's important that finally we are seeing work stories about or people told by our people what we might like is spaces where this uh, can be showcased that's why the festival and the Panalandia Film Festival and every other exhibit that we have the chance to showcase it, we do. But what we like is the discussion, the discussion between the other groups of how we feel about it because we've been fed of a doses of Western cinema. And I guess most of the uh, uh, filmmakers want to uh, tell their stories in that way. We are seeing new forms of storytelling, like uh, also doing Wawa's Vila Burba, which is an oral tradition of the Dule uh, Revolution in 1925 that uh, was made into a ritual every year and now is an audiovisual project. Most of Panamanians weren't even aware of what the Dule Revolution was. And by showcasing that in other uh, in other communities, we are sending that uh, message across. And they might not have a formal. Well, they did went to formal school, by the way, but it it, it wasn't necessary. We don't think it is. Uh, we think it's important to know the the way and have references to improve our work and still uh, young industry like ours need, needs it. So we are delighted to, to be able to create those connections and be a part of it. I really appreciate what Fanny has shared because it brings me to, uh, to share, you know, the difference between processes and experiences, you know? And I think that in China cinema and black cinema, it's also the ability of retelling the story in regards of construction of memory. And, Yeah, I think you mentioned um, Grace Winter, you know, the lady from Belgium, from the Cinemateca, from the Cinemateca Belgium. She was like doing the repatriation of some movie or film that a guy like, you know, some royal member of, of Belgium, they, um, she wanted just to, you know, do the repatriation of the, of the film. But one good thing about that is not only the, the very fact that we're just bringing back those images and sounds to the communities, but also like the community itself. They were saying, you know, how come they didn't ask us? You know, this is not the name of these people. You know, they were just retelling the story of what was shot, you know, like this is not accurate. And that's that was a really great dialogue. You know, around that by uh, uh, also thinking in, in in the in the archives and thinking about the the audiovisual patrimony and thinking about memory, it also would give us you know like a glimpse or like a yeah like a tip where we can go you know like having all these little dots identified in the big canvas. But uh, also, I agree with Fanny that we need more spaces for us to. Um, to have the complete information, like, you know, the, the big panorama of 
what is the chain of production? And so we can decide whether we want to participate in it or not, right? Uh, because sometimes even distribution is, is a very big deal because we think that the best or the healthiest thing for you to have in regards to your film is just to have your film in a film festival. And then you realize that actually maybe the healthiest healthy thing is just to do the premiere of film, it's just in the community itself, you know, depending of the nature of the, of the production, depending of the purpose or, the, or your audience, right? Um, but I would say, you know, that you named, you know, the Wawa family, uh, we love them to be, it's that, um, you know, they created this really great space of, you know, they wanted to share, you know, a space where people can get trained. Actually, they invited me to one session and I, I, got, I got trained in photography or something on, on Zoom with the project of Iso Nativo. So I think uh, we should keep, have this dialogue ongoing so we can identify other spaces where we can, you know, share our experiences. We can also make sure that our processes can be identified because sometimes even people from our very own countries, you know, our cinematographer, our filmmakers, fellows and colleagues, they don't recognize us as filmmakers. They don't recognize us as programmers. They don't recognize us as curators. So how come they can tell, you know, what is the Panamanian, um, you know, cinematography out there? Or what is the Venezuelan cinematography out there? if you don't have the capacity of even name a film made by the genus person, you don't have the ability of naming a film made by a black person. And I think that's something that we also have to compel to the rest of our colleagues, you know, that we have the ability and the capacity of organizing ourselves or coordinating, of creating networks. And we have um, and I fully agree with 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 finding because we need to create to create spaces but also identify those spaces that are already there so we can you know nurture that and i think um this is as i said again this is an ongoing conversation i'm so happy this is this is taking place now you know with fanny and loreto and i really appreciate this invitation because i you know by by listening to you i i was just taking notes and you know just making plans you know like pretending that I don't have any, you know, I'm just, <laughs> I have a lot of things to get done, but uh, I think this is very uh, exciting. And and I would say that uh, the, the main commonality is that we have the gift of our ancestors of being a storytellers. And, and being a storyteller is not only through cinema, and as Loreto said, you know, there are other expressions of communication, you know, ceramic, poetry, uh, textiles, weaving, etc., and uh, and I really appreciate all the work you've done, and in terms of you know recognizing also other capacity of storytelling within your or own network and spaces. I just wanted to brought that out because I think we have to make clear that there is a a big difference between processes and experiences. There are people that have experiences with indigenous peoples. And they not necessarily uh, try to go deeper or look for more information so they can also contribute to the processes that that have been there that is in already in the in the in the in the country. You know, like for instance, 
when I have to recommend like a, a international film festival run by indigenous peoples, I, I recommend People Map, for instance. They have this, you know, such a great and vibrant platform because it's not only about cinema, but people can also, you know, like participate or sing a video about performance, you know. And it's not my case because I ha it, that's a showcase. It's just only for cinema. It doesn't mean that I cannot open it to other expressions or have dialogues around it. But um, I think, you know, time to time, we have the, the, the opportunity to rethink what are those capacities our, our own people have. And, and by having clarity of that, they're also wondering, do they have the space for them to show that, to exhibit that? to share that uh, thing. And that's a big question. So uh, Fanny, again, I really appreciate what you have brought because uh, that's a big question. You know, Do we have spaces for that? Are there spaces already for that? Do we are, recognize, are we recognizing those expressions so they can fit in those spaces or do we have to create new ones for those expressions? So thank you. Well, of course, we, uh, when Figual Mapu has a call every year, we receive movies for all indigenous people from all the world. And we think, wow, Mapuche people wasn't have our own movies. Why other foreign, uh, strange people go, uh, come to Walmapu for film? Why? We don't film our movies <laughs> with our visions, uh, no? And for that, we think uh, for promote the, the local realizations, uh, we need a space of formation. That is space of collaboration, exchange of knowledge and with indigenous people and the professional people of the filmmaker or the, of the film industry, uh, we can um, do in a space for dialogue and for, in, for exchange um, experience. And for that, we have um, two space of, for former filmmakers or for former artists. And uh, one space is named Mapulab. <laughs> Audiovisual laboratory, creative laboratory for um, filmmakers. Indigenous are not indigenous, but uh, their uh, works are about uh, indigenous themes um, or Afrodescents or Afro communities. We have um, this space every year um, with um, especially. Uh, first movies. We also think, well, um, the experimentation is very important in artists. Uh, today, um, the expression of our arts multidisciplinary. <laughs> and we um, do the last year uh, an art residence uh, in a community Mapuche. Um, in this residence, uh, come to Walmapu for Mapuche artists and, and Afro-descendants, Afro-Colombian artists. And these five artists 
live together and uh, exchange uh, experience, diversity experience, and doing a exhibition named Filke uh, Tension Territories, because uh, our territory now are in very tension for many reasons. Um, uh, this uh, exhibition was very important because uh, we do it in a, a space that usually the indigenous people uh, wasn't um, going. People uh, from the art world, <laughs> intellectual world, come to this, this exhibition to see the contemporary art that propose indigenous people. That is very important. And in a city that's not a capital city, it's a Nova, big, big city, Temuco, it's a city where we have um, 300,000 uh, people. It's small city, <laughs> but with um, powerful artists. And well, I hope uh, with the technology, uh, it's opportunity for uh, doing that uh, network with others, uh, organizations, with other festivals for um, a stronger that work from our filmmakers and our artists. Thank you, Loreto. Yes, I know that there's also networks of festivals of either the regions, the southern region of the continent, uh, there's networks of festivals of the Chilean territory, but this is really new because of the infrastructure being so precarious. You have to remember that during dictatorships, uh, the cultural monies are non-existent and there's a freeze. And um, I wanna point to Brazil in this case, uh, Brazil had a very robust cultural moment about 10 years ago where they were able to support some of the existing nonprofits that were doing incredible work such as Video in the Villages both in production and exhibition of their own work and becoming hubs in themselves. And suddenly all the cultural money is gone and indigenous peoples are really threatened right now. And some of the incredible, wonderful documentary festivals that happen in Brazil that reach out to us for work to, to cross the Andes, to cross the Atlantic and the Pacific and bring really interesting work like uh, Forum Doc BH in Belo Horizonte incredible festival that includes indigenous work regularly and, and Afro-Brazilian work pretty regularly. Uh, Cachoeira Doc, that was an immersive kind of almost flaherty film seminar kind of experience in Cachoeira in the interior of Bahia. And uh, other festivals like Cine Curumin, that is also an itinerant indigenous film festival in Brazil. I think that we have to look to Brazil as, as an important space of um, pride in the Afro-descendant experience, the Afro-Brazilian experience. And like there, the situation has been the reverse. It's been the uplifting of the black voices that has allowed indigenous issues to also emerge and be a part of, of conversations in the cultural sphere. But right now, all of those festivals are really kind of suffering and, and we're not quite sure what the future will be. But there is a network of uh, documentary film festivals, I think that we should be we should be claiming our space. But what you point to both, both well, the three of you have been pointing out basically is that there's either a neglect or a lack of infrastructure. So we're building our own 
And that is where we have this uh, radical possibility of naming and creating our own structures. And I think that's really valuable. Um, I want to point out that uh, Loreto mentioned Filque, uh, Territories in Transition. That is the name of one of the initiatives. So we're crossing borders, we're crossing disciplines, we're crossing languages, but we're really hanging on to what really matters, which is underneath, right? Which is what stories we want to tell. And as David pointed out, um, we also acknowledge our ancestrality, our elders as holders of knowledge. There is definitely a different knowledge system and a different respect for that. Um, this is important that we think about creative ways to find spaces of community to, to create these alliances. I'm thinking of um, some of the migrant community centers like the Colombians who settle in some of the cities in, in Santiago, for instance, they're starting to have their own restaurants, they're starting to have their own community centers, maybe because of their own experience uh, back home, they can be a space that's friendly to different expressions of, of Afro-Colombian culture. And then we could bring in cinema uh, from Mapuche territory, for instance, to be in dialogue because you've already got this warm community space. Traditionally indigenous film in Chile before the emergence of Ficual Mapu and other festivals like that, they were screened at the Goethe Institute. They were screened at the uh, cultural center of Spain because there was no interest from the national film spots, the art houses to really, to really show this and, and universities even are kind of contested. So I think we have to think a little bit outside the box in terms of the communities and the audiences we wanna serve and the conversations we wanna have and be more inclusive and think about multi-generational and multi-disciplinary um, ways of exhibition. Um, so that's, those I think are important takeaways from our conversation today. Fanny, I don't know if you have any last thoughts um, thinking about like, what would you want um, an Afro-Indigenous Alliance to look like in film in the future? Well, I would like it to be more robust, definitely. I would like it to be more public. Panama has a history of Hollywood hits, cinema in the shopping center, and uh, we even had a United States channel for more than 20 years where we got uh, lots of influence and audiovisual work that are part of our uh, history and the way most of Panamanians think and if we had the same with other stories either Afro descendant or indigenous descendant descendant or Creole for what it matters because we are a very mixed mixed nation but I wish we could see uh, more examples that are uh, viral that are interesting and the people are uh, in tuned with I think one of the reasons why that doesn't happen is uh, lack not just of, of training but also financing we have a very young fund by the government and just like Brazil and Argentina uh, cuts from the government are frequent well we've been having the fund for uh, in a recurrent way but uh, it's always uh, we're always in doubt every year then the uh, a new election or a new government takes the seat we are concerned that if we're going to have the fund or not uh, 
So the Panama Film Festival is pushing to uh, an alternative financing um, aid. It's my, it might not be that much, but it does help small films to find their way in the processes. So we have uh, a series of uh, prices or funds uh, being distributed. We have a Primera Mirada Fund, the one that I just spoke about for films in post-production uh, that get a cash price and also the chance to screen the film at the Machedu Film on Cannes. And last year we uh, opened the Sumirada Fund, which is a fund for women directors of Central America territories to uh, for films that are related to LGBTQ um, issues, uh, civil uh, human rights, and uh, can be either documental or fiction, but more into the uh, pushing to the conversation of the issues that women face in in filmmaking processes. It's also a uh, cash fund for two in development and post-production. And last year, well, we were going to showcase it in a huge way this year, but <laughs> COVID had different plans. We had our first uh, co-production forum for Central American projects, and it was a huge success with films um, for Native uh, and, and Black stories that really we hope can finish their process and hopefully be in exhibit in uh, our communities that need to see it and need to discuss it. And also we are sending, opening this year a VR uh, contest only for Panama, unfortunately. It's, well, fortunately too, because it starts from somewhere, right? Um, and it's a... Uh, an uh, aid to push the storytelling in a different format and communicate uh, to younger generations in school the importance of civil uh, and right issues, climate change, uh, early pregnancies, and that kind of issues that we really want to discuss. So that is opened from until October the 30th, and hopefully if somebody, uh, Panamanian filmmaker, uh, in the VR um, sector is listening to this podcast, please do submit until October the 30th. And hopefully this uh, conversation, this network opportunity can also be uh, one in the list of all the uh, good relationships that can be uh, formed in between countries. I uh, will definitely keep up with Loreto and David to uh, reinforce uh, their message in Panama and to our native uh, filmmakers that absolutely know that Walmapu exists and want to be part of. <laughs> and hopefully um, this is a, a great catapult to uh, filmmakers that they need a, a space to be showcased. For our audience out there, uh, when we say formacion or formation is training, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's a word that we use uh, in the everyday basis. 
in our languages. So uh, I think it is very important to hack, you know, hacking the narrative, the hegemonic narrative, the oppressive narrative. And that's why we are eager to identify um, the narratives that out there in the lands, in black and indigenous communities. Also, um, I think there is a big question that can be solved, you know, like in a progressive way uh, that can be worked out. So what money is there, you know, because there is also like a big issue in lack of funding for, you know, our cinematography, you know, for filmmaking. So I think that, I think that is a way for us to think of co-production, you know, to identify what money it's out there, how we can have access to that. What are the compromises that we have to be accountable if we have money, if we access to that money? So I think those are big questions that we've been, you know, unfolding and, you know, given some concrete answers a li little by little. But I think uh, there is a lack of information where the fund is, where the money is out there. So we can, you know, like widely share it with the rest of the filmmakers that are actually like ready to go and film, ready to go and apply, ready to go and learn how to write a grant, right? So I think this is a very, uh, I said, you know, this is ongoing dialogue and this is something that we will be unfolding and, you know, talking in, you know, in the, in the, in the near future. Thank you. Muchas gracias. Thank you, David. Thank you, Fanny. Thank you, Loreto. Thank you, Temba and the Doc Leipzig and the industry for uh, having these podcasts as part of your offerings. We hope that this is a, a helpful conversation that will have continuity and uh, that we will not just have conversation number one, but be able to see each other's work, maybe even think about traveling some showcases. Maybe a Panama showcase goes to Walmapu, maybe a Walmapu showcase goes out to the world. So um, I'm not afraid of subtitling. I'm not afraid of interpretation. I'm happy to stay connected and um, hope you will enjoy the rest of the festival. Peukayal Chantumay.